Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm writer, filmmaker, and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, actress, filmmaker, and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about small presses and interviewing Joe Beal, who runs Microcosm Press. But first... What are you reading, Bria? I just finished a book that I want to talk about. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, got, I got things to say about this book. I just finished Mad Black Wheel by Josh Mallorin. It's about a band. I just finished it, and it's very good. It was about a band... In this, ooh, like 50s, 60s, maybe 70s. No, okay. It would actually, it was right after World War II, so it would be the 50s. And they are recruited to go, there's a noise somewhere in the desert, and they're, and, and when things get around this noise, like weapons and stuff, they get disabled. So, like, there's a nuclear warhead that became not nuclear anymore. Just a regular old warhead. <laughs> just a, if it's not a nuclear warhead, what happens to it? I don't know. Anyway. It's just a... Punk of, or the, punk of metal. And then some people had some guns, and the guns got disabled. And then, uh, th- so they get sent out to find this noise as musicians and to kind of, like, see what the noise is. And then the mystery unfolds from there. But basically, That sounds wicked good. It's good. And I, it have, an, I have an arc of this. Him. Should I read it? Yeah, yeah, you should. It's great. And it's a pretty quick read, I think. I read it quite, I don't know, maybe it's just quick because I loved it so much. I don't know. But yeah. um, anyway, it was, it was good. It's very spooky, and it like, kind of makes you feel a little like you're on an acid trip. You know what I mean? Like, you're, like, reading it, and you're like, what is happening? Like, there's a guy, and his face uh, is smushed, but he smushed where both of his eyes are on the same side, and that's so creepy. Like, Oh, uh, like I really want to read this. Yeah, it's good. You'd like it. You'd be interested. I've had this book forever. I just was like, oh, I'll get to that. Yeah, it's 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 quite good. What are you reading? Uh, I am reading a book called Crash Override by Zoe Quinn, and it's a memoir, sort of memoir slash manifesto. Zoe or Zoe? Oh, I don't know. There's an umlaut. What does an umlaut mean? I don't know, though. So we as Quinn, big readers, we have no idea have what no a fucking idea. umlaut means. I only see umlaut when I like. I only encounter umlauts when I listen to Motorhead. I was gonna say when you listen to black metal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like when you're listening to black metal, they just scream them at you, so you can't really tell how they're pronounced. Wow, I'm really impressed with us for making a black metal joke on in the reading first five glasses. Minutes of the podcast. You're, John's. We actually just lost hundred percent of our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Your partner is going to be really pumped. He loves it. He would would be very. Impressed. A bunch of people in Norway are going to start listening. I um, hope so. Okay, so Zoe Quinn. Zoe Zoe Quinn or Zoe Quinn or Zoe Quinn. She's the reason why GamerGate started. They're the, she's the one. The she's the she's a game developer, and she's the one that they all started attacking. And it sort of spun out into this, like, madness and, like, sort of started exposing all the craziness of internet trolls and hackers and these horrible, horrible people who, like, wanted to take her life down. And she fought back and didn't get taken down. And it's her whole story of how she went through that and started helping other people who were getting abused online and also part manifesto on, like, how to deal with online abuse and hate and trolls and how we go forward. And it's really good so far. She's a great writer. It's really compelling. It's really funny. But it's also just, like... She starts the book like, I never thought that the stuff like this could happen to me, but it did. And it's that kind of thing you're like, I mean, I deal with internet trolls all the time, every day. Yeah, but not at the level that this. Not that level. This girl, like, like, I mean, when this went down, it was crazy. Yeah. It was was such a crazy event that people were talking about and everyone had a strong opinion about it. Oh, yeah. She she testified before the United Nations about online abuse. So, like, it just, it it, like, you have this moment where you're like, it's so easy it would be so easy to like all of a sudden someone could just turn their that light on you. Yeah. 
So uh, we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Uh, we've opened up recommendation requests, and Roland writes in, My niece recently tested to be reading at a 10th grade level despite currently being in 3rd grade. This does my heart good, but I'm having trouble coming up with book recommendations that are both academically suitable while not covering content that would be inappropriate or beyond the concern of a 9-year-old. I hope that I can assume that both of you were in a similar situation as children preteens, and any great book recommendations to not dampen a young reader's enthusiasm would be greatly appreciated. Bria, what do you think? First of all, I love this person assumes that we were super geniuses at the age of third grade. I definitely do not think I was reading at a 10th grade level. Not even sure I read it one now. <laughs> Pregnant probably oh, right now. Bria. I'm about at a third grade level. Bria, you have a college degree. Just joking. But my suggestion is going to be to recommend a book from a past guest on our show, Colin Malloy and his and the Wildwood series. Real it's a it's a great book. It stars a girl who's around that age, nine or ten, which I think is like sort of the key with these, the, with a with a kid's book, right? Like with a kid's book, you recommend a, a character. Like it's good if the characters are similar to their age. So anyway, the, he wrote, um, he has these book, and you should check them out. These, it's a book series called Wildwood, and I read it, the first one, and it's amazing. And it's actually really long, so it'll keep her busy for a little bit. Uh, it's much longer than a book, I think, for the average nine-year-old. It's it's like it's like an epic journey for a nine-year-old going into the forest outside of Portland, Oregon, and discovering, you know, bears that wear hats. Which is really all I've ever wanted. And an evil witch. I hope that's not too dark, though. I never know what's too dark. That's a little dark, huh? There's like, a, there is evil in the woods. Uh, I think nine-year-olds know what evil is. They're reading Harry Potter at that age. Some of them are, but not the later Harry Potter books. People, you, you should, like... Yeah, it, but the, you deal with Voldemort in, like, the first Harry Potter book. That's true, that's true. But you don't Nine-year-olds like, know about the concept of evil. You don't get to the, like, the death of a child to, like, in the later books, I think. Oh, in Harry Potter? Yeah. Like, yeah, book four or five. Yeah, but the nine-year-olds can handle evil witches. Okay. All right. Well, so that's what... Give me my suggestion. What do you, what do you suggest? Uh, so, Roland, yes, you can assume correctly. I also had the same problem when I was nine. My, people in my life... Did not do a very good job. This is the year my dad gave me Moby Dick to read, which wow, I read, uh, but screwed me up a little bit as a nine-year-old. So I, you know, I just sort of started reading whatever and read some wildly inappropriate books. <laughs> so I'm happy to be able to turn 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 the tables a little bit and get this awesome nine-year-old reader some good books. Uh, my first suggestion here is Neil Gaiman. Uh, who is my favorite author, but he has also a lot of books for younger readers, like Coraline and the Graveyard Book. But some of his adult novels are also would be appropriate for kids. Some of them, not all of them, uh, to play it safe. I would give her The Ocean at the End of the Lane, which has some scary moments, but there's no, scary. But there's no. no sex. There's not a lot of violence. It's a, like the main character is a reader. Like, I hope you wrote that book kind of scared me a little bit. Oh. All those crows? No, thank you. Oh, yeah. Get them away. But I feel like she can. She could probably take it. Uh, but yeah. I would, yeah, I would start with Coraline in the Graveyard Book. They're very. The good thing about Neil Gaiman is that even the scary parts of his books, they're all tempered by fantasy. Um, so it's not as intense. Also, Bria, Bria put a note in here. I w also have to recommend my favorite yeah. YA series. I saw that you wrote down Neil Gaiman. I was like, you didn't recommend what I thought you'd recommend. Uh, the Philip Pullman, Philip Pullman, anything by Philip Pullman, really. He has a couple YA series, but the Golden Compass series is like, I'm pretty obsessed with it. Even as an adult, I started reading it when I was nine. Got a lot of b long books for her to read. She's, she's got good. a lot of, she's got a lot to, 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 to do. We got this girl's back. 
Uh, so you can email us your recommendation requests at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And as always, we want to thank Danielle, who runs our Facebook group, and Chrissy and Rachel, who moderate our Goodreads page. Remember, guys, we're also doing, we do a monthly column in Apex Magazine called Page Advice, where we solve reader problems every month. You guys can check it out and subscribe at apexmagazine.com. It's only 22 bucks for the whole year, and it's a pretty great magazine. Uh, before we talk about small presses, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is supported in part by BarkBox, a monthly package of four to six natural treats and super fun toys curated around a surprise theme. This month's theme that we got in the mail was, I'm not joking, the Knights of the Hound Table. It is so cute. I just want to die. It is amazing. They give you all sorts of little treats, um, sticks to chew on, but also really cute toys. We got a knight and also... um, one of those things that you beat people up with that is like a, a, a flail, I guess is what it's called, or something along those lines. And it is really adorable. One is a chew toy that squeaks. One is like a toy you can play tug of war with. I personally don't have a dog, but I work with dogs at a local shelter and they died for these toys. They thought they were awesome. So if you have a dog, I think this would be an amazing gift or just for a dog person. Get them a month, get them a couple of months. This is a really awesome gift for somebody and for a dog. Every month, BarkBox picks the best all-natural treats made in the USA or Canada and innovative toys to match a dog's unique needs, including allergies and heavy chewer preferences. If your dog doesn't like something in the box, BarkBox will send you something they'll love for free. Reading Glasses listeners can get a free extra month of BarkBox when you sign up for a 6-12 to month plan, which I think if you have a dog, and I know how many toys I used to like to buy my dog, that's a pretty good, good thing to do. So you can get that free month extra if you go to BarkBox.com slash glasses. Shirts, stickers, patches, posters, tote bags, aprons. Sure, you might have some of these things already, but do they rep your favorite MaxFun shows? We've got brand new items in stock at MaxFunStore.com. So why not stock up on gear that shows off the podcasts you love? MaxFunStore.com. It's good stuff. We swear. This week, it's all about small presses. What does that even mean? And why should you care? So small press is essentially a small publisher. So there are five main book corporations. We're going to tell you what they are right now. Do you want to tell the people? Uh, it's Hachette, which has been around since 1837. That's real old. HarperCollins, which is my publisher. Shout out to HarperCollins. Macmillan, Penguin Random House, and Simon & Schuster. So small presses are small because they make a certain amount of money a year. Way less than any of those main book corporations. They they usually only publish a few books around, around 10 a year. And we saw the beginning of small presses as early as the 19th century. But remember, small presses are not micro presses, which is kind of a different thing. Um, they're usually, micro presses are defined by publishing one book at about 50 copies per year. And that's a whole different episode. We'll have to have an episode on micro presses. Because I don't know that much about it, but I read a lot about it while reading about small presses. So it's just like poodles. There's your standard poodle, which is like the big, <laughs> big presses. A miniature poodle, which is like a small press. And then a toy poodle, which you can put in your how, purse. How big is a, oh, a toy one Those are like... like the Paris Hilton poodles. Oh, oh, oh like the little. That's what a micro press is. Got it. Got it. Okay, so so we're talking about that minute, that in between poodle, the perfect poodle size, <laughs> as you might say, the just right poodle. <laughs> yeah, the not too hot, not too cold, just right poodle. 
press. <laughs> I think we're crossing too many metaphors here. So because because they're small and they're usually independent these presses can take chances on new voices they can publish books for a niche market and publish stories that aren't seen as commercially valuable by bigger companies what that basically means is they can take more risks small presses can be amazing for finding marginalized voices that bigger presses might turn down yeah and thanks to ebooks and digital publishing there's been a huge increase in small presses in even the past few years which is awesome so cool great awesome all of this is all this is wonderful and like something that you totally want to support, but how do you find small press books? Because the thing about a lot of small presses is they don't have, a, you know, they don't make as much money, so they don't have as much of a marketing arm as some of the, as like Penguin Penguin Random House that has money to like put, you know, ads on the subway stations and yeah. do book or trailers. on my Instagram. On your Instagram. They love to advertise I mean, to me on Instagram. I love Penguin Random House, so I can't give it, like, that's the thing is I, I, I love all the big publishers, but, you know, small presses don't have, don't have the oomph. So it's sometimes harder. You might not see them on bookshelves. You know, you have to, you know, look a little harder. So you can look on the internet for sure. That's one place to look. If you look small press, uh, look at small presses. There's a ton, and lots of small presses get booths at literary festivals. Yeah, it's a great place to talk to the people working with them and to look at a bunch of books they're publishing. And even if you don't buy anything, you can grab a card and follow them on social media. Yeah, even at comic cons, actually, a lot of small presses will set up there. You get to go meet the people, see all the cool books they're publishing, maybe even meet the author who's sitting there right there selling that book. Yeah, and it's great. Speaking of social media, it's great to follow if you are interested. In a small press or their books or their authors really good to follow them on social media uh, unnamed press has an awesome instagram melville houses i've talked on the show before has an amazing twitter account you can also ask your local bookstore if they carry any small press books and what are their recommendations a bunch of the indie bookstores in la carry a lot of small press books uh, when i'm browsing i always like to see who the publisher is of a, of a book that i like and also you can as we like to say ask your local library yeah but what's interesting about it i think is that Small presses, it's not like a specific genre, right? As we, we talked to Joe Beale in a second, he's like, we have a book that goes on every shelf in the bookstore. Like, we have one for food. We have one for the, you know, like, they have all sorts of kinds of books, which I think is really fascinating. And that's why it's not as easy to just go and find a small press at a bookstore, because they might be on several different shelves. They aren't doing, they aren't going to all be on the literary fiction shelf or something like that. You know, a great example, Our Bodies and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. That was one of the biggest, buzziest books of last year, and that was published by Grey Wolf, which is a small press. Bria, are there any small presses or zine presses that you love? Well, I like Microcosm that we're interviewing, and I've been a fan of theirs for a really long time since Joe Beale let me come to his zine distribution center at his house, which was uh, really nice in, like, the 90s. The 90s. The 90s when people had zines. <laughs> <laughs> Bria's, Bria's going to keep the 90s alive forever. I know. I had a zine. I had a, I had a, I distributed zines for a hot minute in college. That wow. Was, that was what I did for a minute. It was short-lived. Short-lived and difficult. But I did buy a very small copy machine for it and had it in my house, which now I'm thinking about is probably like really bad for my lungs to Wait. have a really small copy machine from the early 2000s, like indoors. Oh, yeah. So I actually took a, a quiz, an online quiz about this. I'm going to take it right called, now. It's Book Riot, and it's called What Small Press You Should Be Obsessed With. And I got the feminist press of, do you say C-U-N-Y? Yeah. Cooney? Yeah, that's the Central University of New York. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to link to this. It was really exciting to take this because it's like, here's what you like. Um, I don't really pay attention to who publishes my books, but I should. And I feel really bad that I don't because I get most of my books from the library anyway. So I'm just sort of like ordering the books that look interesting to me. I'm going to tell you what I have from the library right now. This is going to be the most boring part of, of this podcast that's ever existed. Ready? Go. Uh, I have 
several small press books, one from Sourcebooks, one from Alan Quinn, one from Grey Wolf, one from Soft Skull. Those are all small presses, I yes. believe. And that's compared to, I have one from Knopf, two from HarperCollins, four from Penguin, and one from Orbit, which is technically a division of a smaller, of a big press. And it's kind of a bummer because I think of myself as like an indie lover. I'm like, I love, I love all things indie. indie. lover. I love mu- indie music. I love independent makeup companies. I love mason jars. Like I love all those kind of things. And I was kind of bummed with myself that I, I didn't, lo- didn't have more small presses stuff ha- ha- at my library waiting for me from at the library. I was kind of bummed that I wasn't supporting as much as I should. So this this episode is really making me think about that a lot more and ordering and what books I order from my library. And the books I recommend that I should recommend more small press stuff because they're probably going to get the stuff from Macmillan anyway. You know, I should just be like, no, get me this random thing from, you know, that this this that no one's ever heard of or something. Give me this random ass book that's going to be smaller and I may be the only person wanting it, but it'd be cool if I could get the library to order that. Yeah, no, that's why I really, I mean, I'm sort of a publishing nerd anyways. It's just stuff that interests me. But when it, whatever book I pick up, whatever I'm reading, I always see who's publishing it. Like, w- like what imprint they are, of what bigger publisher, or if they're a small press, or like... Yeah, because what's interesting is a lot of the... I do read a lot of stuff from certain imprints that I don't think of as being big publishers, but they are part of, like, you know, Penguin. You yeah. know, like, they're... That's what a lot of people don't realize is they mm-hmm. see, like, the little publishing symbol on the spine of the book, and they're like, oh, I've never heard of this, but it's actually an imprint of a bigger publisher. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is cool that they do these imprints because it means that, you know, you're getting smaller, different voices out there and different kinds of books that maybe it's not the same as... They're not going to be published, like, alongside John Grisham books, but they have, like, a different you know, a, a, a different publisher to show that they're making these kinds of choices, which yeah. I think is good. Yeah, well, gen- I mean, we'll, we're going to do a whole episode on, po- like, how that's, that works. Uh, it's definitely something to pay attention to, and if, more often than not, if you start looking at who publishes your books, you'll notice that you'll gravitate towards, like, if your tastes will sort of run similar to, like, you're like, oh, wow, I have a lot of Soft Skull books. I have a lot of Mulholland books. Like, I have a lot of books that this one place puts out because I like this stuff. So what about you? Are you re- what are you? What's your deal with small presses? I'm really into small presses. I love really strange stories. I love books of feminist essays, um, and there's a lot of you know I, I I like a lot of weird fiction that uh might a bigger publisher might not take a chance on. Uh, so I you know I love Grey Wolf Press. I love Coffee House Press, Two Dollar Radio, Small Beer Press, Hawthorne Books, uh, Melville House. It's gonna be a link filled episode. Yeah, I know, and I'm the one who has to put it all together. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to this. But they all they put out weird fiction, feminist memoirs, and essays that I really love. Um, I also I love Soft Skull. They put out a lot of um, strange books and horror books, and um, they have a um, a book club, the Soft Skull Book Club. It's eighty bucks a year, and you get ten books mailed to you over the course of the year, and it's like eight bucks a book. That's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. I think Microcosm actually has that as well. Uh, and that's what's really cool about small presses is because that you know because they don't have a, a lot of marketing money or as much marketing money, they do stuff like that. Like you know, we're about to talk to Joe Beal from Microcosm, and they have a sliding scale. A lot of small presses do a lot of great charity work. They have cool book clubs. Two Dollar Radio has this thing where they, um, if you get a tattoo of their logo, they'll send you ten books. Like there's what? all kind of like cool small things that you wouldn't normally think. They about. really know their crowd if they're like, what will people who they like tattoos? Oh, that is yeah. a very specific. There's not a lot of think about like a if Penguin or Random House was like if you get a tattoo of Random House we'll send you ten I just don't think that's no that would not happen so you can send your thoughts on small presses to Reading Glasses Podcast at gmail.com and before we interview Joe Beal from Microcosm we're gonna take a quick break. Follow 
Following the news is hard and it sucks. How do you know which stories are important? Which sources do you trust in this post-truth world of reactionary journalism? I'm Brent Black. And I'm Travis McElroy. And we host a podcast called Trends Like These. We cover trending news stories. We debunk misleading clickbait headlines. And we always try to throw in a little bit of good news. In our quest for truth. So join us every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. So we're here with Joe Beal, founder and publisher of Microcosm Publishing. Thanks for being here, Joe. Thank you. So, Joe, tell us what you're reading right now. Well, right now, I'm, I'm juggling a few very disparate books. I'm reading Narconomics, which is um, your guide on how to become a narco trafficker. Um, it's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, um, but very real, like, sociology book about... All that goes into, you know, like being so powerful that you might threaten governments, not because this is any interest of mine, just because it's like fascinating all that is involved economically. Um, I'm also reading Subversives, which is kind of like Reagan's rise to power in America and like how the FBI got out of control, like in California in the 60s. And I'm also oddly reading Trouble Boys, which is the like the first like really in-depth book about the replacements which is also like a sociology book, oddly enough, like mostly about their like upbringing and like how their parents had been military people and like poverty and all that stuff. But, you know, so I'm like way, I'm like in the part of my life where I read about music more than I listen to music. <laughs> We're all getting that. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about microcosm? I can. Um, so Microcosm is twenty, um, just about 22 years old. Um, and so we focus on empowering the reader to give themselves the life that they want and to have the tools to change the world around them. Um, and so like, you know, in practice, um, we, we, we also tend to have a sense of humor and to like really focus on like graphical visually interesting books, um, especially people often <coughs> mistake our books to be for children when they are absolutely not. Um, and so we have books like um, the Stoner Babes coloring book um, or like Soviet Daughter, which is the story of like four different generations of women in um, Soviet Russia and like how they had various kinds of like struggles for empowerment and like and then uh, emigrated to the U.S. Um, and then probably the most famous book that I wrote um, is called Makezine, which just had its 20th anniversary, which is kind of like, again, a little bit of sociology and then a lot of brass tacks about like, you know, self-expression and like kind of, you know, how to like make your enthusiastic love letter about your passion be read and to like kind of, you know, find your people. Um, and then, you know, another thing we did kind of recently is called Threadbare, which is like, it's a book about how the, it's a, it's a comic book about how like the garment trade, like, you know, fast fashion and all that feeds the sex trade and like puts a lot of women into like really awkward, um, career, you know, non-decisions. Um, and so we do a lot of stuff like that, but we also do like a lot of books about food and, 
you know, like it's really kind of all over the place. Um, and, and the, the running joke with our uh, distributors has always been that like we put one book on every single shelf in the bookstore, <laughs> which is pretty non-standard for like a, a, a publisher of our size, you know? So what made you want to start doing this? You've been doing it a long time now. I have. Um, so I grew up, um, I was what you would call, if you were being polite, you would call me an at-risk youth. Um, I grew up in Cleveland, like in the 70s, and I was, I guess I, I, I didn't know it yet, but I was autistic. And so I had a lot of kind of problems, you know, that I was raised in a pretty rough environment, like my own home and like kind of the city around me. And, you know, and then I found punk rock when I was a teenager and it was really the thing that like put me on my path and like gave me morals and like showed me how to like be a person in the world. And so I kind of pretty quickly, I was like, I want to be the publishing of punk rock, but not in like the, you know, not in the like Mohawks and business suits kind of way more in the like, you know, I want to like have a way to create the resources that, you know, like we're desperately lacking for me as a young person. And then the weird part about that is like the way that that plays out in reality is like, you know, we found an audience that sort of wasn't known to exist in publishing, you know, where most of our fans and the people that buy our books are like women of color, low income, you know, you know, things like that, that just, um, you know, wasn't really thought of as a demographic. And now that's kind of like the rush in publishing is the like, you know, diverse books and this and that. And, you know, and so to me, I was, it was always like kind of, you know, it's not like what I aimed for, but it's kind of like, I think because of my background, that was the kind of thing I was interested in creating editorially. Awesome. So, wait, so we should have asked this at the beginning, but how many books do you guys publish a year? Um, it's, you know, we try to keep it down to like, the goal has always been to only do 12 a year, but in reality, um, it's more like 20. And then if we really get out of hand, there was one year where we did 41, wow. but, but that was, you're, you know, it's like the kind of thing where you just, <laughs> it's like, it's like you kind of watch the, like the horses run away from you and you try to keep up. That's, you know. <laughs> That's what a, the day at work is like. <laughs> well, what, do you, what do you think people will be surprised to learn about running a small press, like versus a larger press or something? Sure. Um, it's it's 90% administrative work. Like you really are, you know, it's like research and spreadsheets and like, you know, making data informed decisions from that you know like what you come across and you know a lot of it it's really just it's like you know if you were working if you were selling i don't know pharmaceuticals or whatever you would hate it but like because it's books it's that's the thing that makes it super fun and if you don't have that like perspective like nuanced distance you would probably be miserable, you know? It's really just about the thing where you're like, everything I do puts, like, these books that I love into people's hands, and then we get the best fan mail, you know? Oh, awesome. I bet you do. So, so <laughs> yeah. do you have a book that you like to gift to people? Do you just give people microcosm books for presents? 
I, <laughs> I do. Um, my favorite book that we didn't publish to give to people is John Ronson's um, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, because it's like, I feel like the best book about the internet, you know? Um, but the, as far as like the books that we've published, um, there's a book called Scam that is a really cool, weird book. Um, but it's it's one of those things where like we didn't really think it through that it would not be this like huge commercial hit because it really like details how to commit all kinds of crimes. And like maybe that's not the information that everybody is seeking. Um <laughs> But it's like the kind of book where you feel like, you know, when I give it to somebody and they open it, they're always like, this book is amazing. <laughs> you know, it's really funny and it's not, you know, like the guy doesn't take himself ever seriously. And that, you know, I think it really helps, you know, so it's like interesting to read no matter what he's talking about. So what about you personally? Do you have any book quirks or reading quirks you want to share with the listeners? Um, yeah, well, it's, it's odd. I read very slowly and, um, and I have, um, recently become, I've, I've had this odd kind of personal relationship with Temple Grandin recently where she called me and began kind of walking me through it. And she kind of explained that there's three different kinds of autistic people. And I learned that that is why I have so much trouble reading because I'm really about half the speed of everyone else I know. And it's because like, I think visually, so like I have to like read a sentence, step back, process it, and then continue. Huh. And like, I'm the kind of person where like, there's times where like, if I'm reading something for comprehension, my notes will, you know, be about half the length of the text. <laughs> you know, if I'm trying to like learn something or, you know, or like if I'm doing research. And so it's like, some of the books that I detailed that I'm quote reading now, I've been reading for two years because it's just that, you know, that's like my nature. Yeah. Wow. And so, and, and sorry, what are the three different, this is just like me being curious, but what are the three different <laughs> types of, of autistic people and how does that affect your reading? Um, so there's visual thinkers, you know, which is like what Temple Grandin is that she talks about this a lot that she thinks in pictures. She's written endlessly about this. Um, and I was always a little bit sad that I don't have this superpower because I feel like that would probably be a total pain in the ass, but it would probably also be completely fascinating. Um, and then there's the like people that are verbal and written kind of thinkers, um, you know, and they, those would be people that probably, you know, do things like journalism or, you know, things like that. Or, and then there's like the, the, um, the visual thinker or the pattern thinker, which is what I am, where I'm like really focused on logic all the time and really trying to sort of, you know, like make everything into a pattern, you know? And so when somebody's, words contradict with their actions then i'm always a little bit like huh tell me more about what you're trying to achieve here you know and maybe that's why um you know this is not medical this is my personal posturing and like a pretty recent thing to be reveling on in my 40s is the like maybe that's why i'm such a slow reader you know because i really want to kind of suss out why every sentence is in the book you know and in reality, like, I know professionally that that is, not, you know, that's like not always, uh, not every book is Moby Dick, you know, it's like oftentimes you're not uh, editing to that degree 
you're you know you're trying to put in things that you know, like are good nuggets rather than like essential part of the narrative you know yeah wow that's fascinating so mm -hmm. if people want to find microcosm online or they want to buy some books from you where should they go they should go to microcosm.pub which is our brand new really cool website they can also go to microcosmpublishing.com if they're like old school.com types <laughs> but microcosm.pub it's just so it's so beautiful i love it it's awesome awesome and we have like a sliding scale pricing you can like read all about our mission and like why we do the weird things we do and we do distribute um several thousand books from like-minded other publishers that we really love and really wish that we could have gotten to publish, but now we get to sell them anyway. So you can find all of that there. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Have a wonderful uh, rest of your week. Now it's time to solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. This is probably our most controversial one to date. <laughs> I had to rewrite, re rewrite my answer to this. <laughs> so Amanda writes in, my question involves my boyfriend and my differing opinions about lending books. There are exactly three people that I would trust with my books, and he is the exact opposite. Not only does he offer books to people that don't even ask, he's awful at getting the books back. I bought some of the missing books, thank you, half-price books clearance, so that I don't have to go frantically searching for the next book when the previous one ends with a cliffhanger. He has only offered up one of my books once, and I had an excellent excuse to object because I was reading that series. I've mentioned this issue, and he insists that he knows what books he owns. Knowing his long-term memory capacity, I seriously doubt this. The only only solution that I have thought up is to label all of my books. Do you have any other suggestions? Mallory, I just want to say, Mallory changed your answer. So yeah. what would, <laughs> go ahead. So, you tell people what, what your original answer was. Yeah. So my first answer to this was that you should. really upset about this question. <laughs> my first answer to this was that you should murder this person. Just murder him. Throw him in a volcano. Whatever you need to do. But after talking to several people who thought I was being too harsh, I'm taking it back. Fine. Taking it all back. Don't kill him. But you probably should have a heart-to-heart -heart about what your books mean to you, even if you aren't like me and hunt people down Liam Neeson style if they wrong one of your books. I'm going to give this person the benefit of the doubt that he isn't a terrible monster human. He's just a person who doesn't place as much value on books as you do, and maybe you guys need to communicate about that. <laughs> that being said... I do think it's time to start marking your books. Get, you can get stick on book plates, stickers, a fancy book embosser, even just write your name on one of the end pages. That way, it prevents any fights. Boom, you know which books are yours. But I'm going to say you are a much nicer person than I am, and I applaud the, flat, the fact that you keep lending him books. And I will say when I asked my partner, uh, Alan, I was like, what would you do if this was me? He was like, we would not be dating if this was you. So I think this person is a saint. <laughs> is a saint person. <laughs> Bria, what do you, how do you feel about this? Oh, my God. All right, I'm going to put a pen in that for a second and tell... Bria, Bria is also a nicer person than I am. Amanda, can I just, like... Look, I know this is a podcast about books, but I think we need to talk about, is this really about the books? Is this about the books, or is this a, actually a relationship question, which I think it's more of the latter? This is an intense, uh, uh, this is an intense reader question that it, we're answering it's here. It's about... Because this is about respecting your things... And respecting your space, right? And it's okay if that's what this is about. Like, that's okay. Like, this is what the question is about, I think, deep down. We're going to put a pin, and I will answer the book question. But I just want 
to remind my philosophy in life is that things are just things. You're so zen, Bria. They're not. They're just things. A book's not going to bring you some chicken, vegetarian chicken soup when you're sick. Hold your ha- hand while you're crying through a book. A book's not going to hold your hand. But if you stick it between crying. the pages, it's yes, it can. And you're sad about a book. I was very upset about a book the other day. I kept telling my fiance about it. He had to listen to the entire plot of the book. A book is not going to listen to me talk about the plot of the book. I mean, maybe it'll listen, but it's not going to be a very good. It's not going to be like a like a responsive listener. <laughs> it's just going to listen guess. very very stilly. I just okay. I don't want to get into this relationship, but like, let's get into it for just a second. No one is perfect. People have bad habits. It sounds like that he is. His thing is he's trying to be nicer to people, right? And why does he be nice to her? Well, okay, and that's the thing. He's trying to be nice to people, and he doesn't realize the pain that it's causing her. And it's not like he's doing something horrible with these books. He's lending them to people to read. He's not taking a shit on them or wiping his ass with them <laughs> or running, giving them to someone to take to a hospital to hit people. With. Like, it's not like it's like, it's not this awful, it's not like he's doing something ma- malicious. You know what I mean? This is a, like, he has a good intention. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> so, I guess this is the question about the relationship. Do they live together? Do they own these things together? Have they combined their books? Are all of their things, are his things your things? And are your things his things? Because if so, then okay, you've made this decision to combine this thing with these pe- this person. And I, I think separating them out is a big relationship stance. This is just my opinion. Now, if you think in a couple months this, you're going to go, you know, head on out and go live with one of your girlfriends down in Echo Park Lake or something. <laughs> I don't know why she's living in Echo Park. That's where I'm No, in Ryan the lake. Oh, in the lake. Which is great. She's clearly a creature. If you got to move to NoHo because you get broke and you got to move out of this person's house and all you got left That's is, some in LA is humor your right books, there. your books and your cat and you got to just move on over to NoHo in some shitty apartment. <laughs> if that's where this is going, go ahead and I would say emboss those books. Keep them separate. But for me, this is like, if you're in this relationship, you got to figure out a solution for this relationship within the working relationship. Because you don't want to start separating, like, well, that's my spoon and your spoon. You know what I mean? Like, that's going to get really complicated down the road, and I think it means some things. I think you own these things together. Okay. This is just, I really went down a tangent. Um, So if if you are owning these things together, and you've combined these things, maybe this is the one thing you don't combine, and that's fine. If you're like, these books are my books, just like, my clothes are my clothes. Although I wear my fiance's clothes all the time. He does not get to have his own clothes anymore. I still have my own clothes. <laughs> this is a whole. I guess that's fine. Anyway. So, okay. I went on a very long tangent. The answer to this, I think, is what if you combine your books and you have a list of your books. You write down all the books you own. You got a little list, a little library list. Of an you, inventory. You sound a person who loves an inventory. She loves it. She knows what's next, what's up. She knows what books she has, right? You make an inventory. At the end of the year, when Christmas rolls around, you're trying to think of a good present. You go through that inventory and you say, we are missing these five books, and I think that's what I want for Christmas. <laughs> but no, because then you have to waste a Christmas present. She loves books. Or but she already go, has them. Well, I don't really think presents are that important anyway. But I think, <laughs> I think, or you go so together, zen, or you yeah. go together to the store and you make a trip out of it. It's a hey, we're missing. Looks like we're missing Golden Compass number two. We're missing, you know, these books, and we go through and we go he and should. buy them together as a group, and it's a couple outing. This is my suggestion. Bray, you're so nice. Honestly, when I was talking about this with my partner, he told me a horror story about how an ex of his gave away one of his books. And I was so up- upset that I immediately ordered a copy of said book for him. Here's, uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. 
people have bad habits and we are adults and you create those bad habits a long time ago. And if you are not 16 years old, hopefully this person is not 16 years old, then I think you've already you've you've dived deep into your you've you've really dug in with your habits. And this guy obviously this is a habit and people when you date someone, they're going to have good things about them and bad things about them. And if the good things outweigh the bad things. They're probably pretty good to have around because most of the time the good things do not outweigh the That's bad things. No. 99% of the people you meet, you will not be able to put up with all their bad things. But if you, if this is the one thing and it's not – here's what I said at the beginning is that I think it's not about the books and I think there's something bigger going on and I don't know what it is, well, but that, that's okay. your whole thing. My, that's my thing is I guess – it made me – I'm speaking as a person whose actual physical books are incredibly important to this is, me. Okay, so this is your this is your one standing. This is the one this thing is, you you stick a you stick a flagpole Yeah, in. this is a – so my I guess flagpole where I'm coming from is that whoever was dating me – knows how important books are to me so they would know that if they borrowed a book from me and then gave it away that it would hurt me and make me very upset okay okay but if he wanted to be so nice to these five other things that also they'd be mad if they gave him away no i can name three that's the thing is any literally anything else I don't care about. You borrow no. a sweater what about these cats. What if I gave away I one have, of these cats? I have, Bria, I have so many cats. <laughs> I wouldn't even notice. What about what about some of your bar stuff? You'd be pretty upset about that. No, I can just I would honestly just Here's buy another one. You shouldn't one. give away other people's stuff. Like this is a true like, thing. If he wants to be a nice guy, why doesn't he buy a copy and give it to that friend? I think this guy's too. When I think of him, I think like he's just a guy who's like, oh, you let, take it. I like, know he's this guy's probably people, super I love nice. these people because I do take them things when they offer them. <laughs> Bria's the one who has all your books. That's what <laughs> Come she's on over. She's got, <laughs> she's got them all. Shop, I made an inventory. I guess that's the thing is for me, it's a spe- this is a specific book thing, and it's it's like that's what's important to me. So this maybe this is like the most intense reading <laughs> problem we've ever done. So I just think that like at the end of the day. You know, you lose books sometimes. I, I mean, I look. I have this problem with comics because I collect comics in, in like you know, I like having all the issues and even all the trades. I like having all the trades. And a lot of times, I will lend someone a trade that does not come back, and then I'm missing like trade number two to fucking Umbrella Academy, and then I'm fucked. And because I gave it to Paul, who I was dating three years ago, and he never gave it back to me. Yeah, I think you're just a nice person. I think you're. An, I think what it really comes down to on this show is that you're a nicer person than I am. You know, because I, I used to just don't let people buy <laughs> borrow it. I'm a nice person, but I hate people, which is a part of the problem. I just don't let people borrow it. I'm like, no. That, I think that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. You don't have to let people borrow it. I think if your partner is like you've made this decision to be with this person, maybe you made a poor decision. I don't know your life, <laughs> Amanda. <laughs> maybe this guy might be like in other ways. Might, like he might wake her up every morning with mis- like a massage and yeah. pancakes. This yeah. guy might be the best person in the world. And in which case, I think not a big deal. See, but that's, I guess it's just for me, like, part of the reason why my, me and my boyfriend moved in together almost immediately because we are the same about, like, we, our values are the same and we care about our books in the same way. And we were like, oh, we are, we are one. We must be together. Like, that's, because that's how books. I, that's how I knew you, Alan you is the one. You measure values on books. Yes, I do. That's the only thing I care about. I don't have a family. I am done having children. I don't really care about, I only wear one color of clothing. Like, I don't really care about a lot of things. Okay. That's I, I my mean, thing. I just think that, like, look, you got to pick and choose your battles. If this is your battle, I say make that inventory and do the end of the year thing. This is you. Then he has to buy you these books. This is just what he does. You don't have to go. Not as you along to it once a year, unless you're like, yeah, okay, unless yeah. you're about to read it like next, and then I think like you can be like, hey, I was about to read that book. You got to get me another one. That's fine. That's okay. 
I think I think what this comes down to is that they need in addition to that I think they need to communicate more because if she's like me or even like close to me or act more even a normal like an actual normal well-adjusted human being she needs to have like a sit down and be like hey we kind of hope she doesn't listen to this with her boyfriend oh man sorry <laughs> sorry. sorry my dude sorry uh, you just broke up your relationship uh but they she they like they need to communicate about what means stuff to them because he might not even he just might not be a book person he might not even know he might feel because i feel like that way about a lot of stuff like it's just like it's just a this just get a new one uh, yeah 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 so they just need to communicate more they need to communicate about their priorities and their values yeah i mean yeah i guess if this is her number one thing this is the thing you're gonna plant your flag in like that's the thing but i just think for me it would not be the thing I plant my flag on. I'd be like, fine, this is just gonna, I'm just gonna let this roll off my back. If it was me, I'm coming to find you. <laughs> I have a very, spe- I have a very specific set of skills, and they all involve reading. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want us to solve your reader problem, you want to talk for 14 minutes about your relationship. <laughs> if you want us to break up your marriage over books, you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's really great for us and helps us reach more readers. And uh, we are pleased to offer interactive transcripts of the show through Greta. Go to G-R-E-T-T-A dot com slash reading underscore glasses to read and turn your favorite reading glasses moments into clips that you can share out on social media. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Reading G Podcast, on Instagram at Reading Glasses Podcast, now on Litzy at Reading Glasses, and you can always follow along on our book at just- you can always follow along on our bookish adventures using the general hashtag reading glasses. Thanks for listening and thanks, thanks for, for reading. not telling your husband when he lends out your books. <laughs>